This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. Welcome to Browns Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns, writer at the OBR, covering your favorite hometown Browns as they jump in here to week two. It could not have come quick enough getting over this excruciating opening game loss that we probably should have saw coming, but we didn't see coming, and it sort of landed in our lap, unfortunately. But uh, nonetheless, the good thing about the NFL is there's always a new week that comes Quicker than you think it would because you're right, you cover, you talk about, you discuss the game the week before, and then all of a sudden the you know the new game is here. So the Browns do face a must-win here in week two. I hate to say must-win, but I put out the list of uh, teams this season that I thought the Browns had to beat, and it certainly included the Jets. I thought, you know, as far as season opening games go, I thought the, the they're unpredictable. You don't necessarily know what's going to happen to them because you don't have film on the opponent. Preseason's a throwout. Teams aren't playing many starters to begin the season, I mean, in, in the preseason. So you don't really know what it all is going to look like. I thought that, you know, the 18 penalty game that the Browns had in week one is pretty indicative of, you know, sort of the throwout nature that is that is week one. And um, I think that that was one that I thought was a coin toss. People underestimated the Titans. I tried not to. I thought if the Browns played a clean game, which does not include that many penalties, I thought it would be a really neck and neck game. It was 15 to 13 and then just 22 to 13 before, you know, the Browns shot themselves in the foot and sort of that downhill spiral of a fourth quarter happened. Nonetheless, let's move on. We'll move on to week two. The Jets uh, come in off of a, a, uh, an unfortunate loss that is probably, if you talk to the people in their fan base, is, uh, is as crushing a defeat as they've had in a season opener for a long time. They went up 16 nothing. They held the Jets in check for most of the game. Um, you know, if you look at the stat line, 16 nothing well into the third quarter. You know, the Jets didn't move the football all too well. They only had uh, 223 total yards, but they took advantage of uh, four Josh Allen turnovers in, in the first half and into the early part of the second half and, and capitalized and went up 16 nothing. Felt like they were in control of that game. But, the, you know, the Bills come back, score a couple touchdowns in the fourth quarter, added a field goal in the third, and it's a 17-16 win. Pretty crushing for, uh, you know, for the Jets to start that way. And I think that they are going to be looking at this week, two for themselves as a game that they have to win. Obviously, the Browns, you heard me say it earlier, I think the Browns have to win this football game because, you know, you don't want to go... 0-2, come home for the Rams game, which is just tough because the Rams are so well coached and such a 
you know, such a such a great machine offensively that you just don't want to risk that because then you go to Baltimore and then you go on a West Coast trip uh, to to San Francisco on Monday Night Football and you you just you never know. So we'll get there. We'll talk about this. A couple great guests lined up, but before we get to those guests, I want to first talk to you about a company I introduced last week who's you know done great things with Blue Wire and I think they're really helping out customers. Indochino Custom Menswear. We all need suits. We have weddings. We have you know, social gatherings we got to go to or banquets, whatever. You need a suit. The problem is people just go to generic stores and buy generic suits off the rack that aren't custom fit. The beautiful part of what Indochino does is they change that narrative. They get the custom fit for you, and they get it sent to you. So we're we're giving away a pretty good sponsorship here with, with Indochino, and they're doing a great thing for Blue Wire listeners. So they're the world's leading made-to-measure menswear company. They make suits, shirts to your exact measurements for an unparalleled fit and comfort. You know, somebody who's looking to get married, you're in a wedding, you're part of a wedding, you're maybe even getting married. you got a ton of options when you're looking to find stuff for the wedding party. This is the place to go. It's easy to get started. Visit a stylist of one of Indochino's 40 showrooms in North America. Have them take your measurements personally, or you can even, it's a beautiful thing, measure yourself at home and send those measurements off and shop online at Indochino.com. So this week, again, Blue Wire podcast listeners can get any premium Indochino suit at just $369 indochino.com entering blue wire at checkout b-l-u-e-w-i-r-e plus free shipping that's indochino.com promo code blue wire that's any premium suit 369 dollars in free shipping which is a great deal it's a credible deal premium suit that's made to measure it'll be fantastic fit you know because once you go custom you don't go back so go to indochinocustomware.com and get fitted for the right suit today Okay, so we are going to jump over to a, an episode I recorded here Wednesday afternoon with, with Paul Brusisi, who, who runs the Play Like a Jet podcast. Him and a friend of his uh, run the Play Like a Jet podcast. We just wanted to have a conversation. He's throwing it up on his podcast link. I'm throwing it up, obviously, here. Just a conversation, a little back and forth about where these two teams are, weaknesses, predictions, all of that fun stuff. You get a little bit of his pessimism about the Jets which echoes some of the Browns fan sentiment. So it was a really good podcast. I think you guys will enjoy this this section. So uh, here it comes. Awesome, awesome. So we're going to do kind of a crossover thing. Obviously, this is the week two episode of Prepare for Takeoff, but we're also going to uh, be doing uh, a crossover for for your podcast as well, correct? Yeah, so we're going to throw this up on Brown's Phone Breakdown, uh, give it to my listeners there on Blue Wire, and uh, you know, hopefully this will serve as a good preview for both your fans there uh, in Jets Nation, and then hopefully Brown's people here can, can, can learn a good bit from this combo too. Uh, awesome, awesome. So, um, you know, obviously – uh, the Browns had high expectations going into the season. Obviously, a lot of playoff talk, some mentioning being, you know, Super Bowl contenders, which with on paper, they, they certainly have a high-powered offense uh, with a defense that's expected to follow suit. Obviously, as we all know, the addition of Odell Beckham Jr. to the offense uh, to join Baker Mayfield and his good friend Jarvis Landry. Um, obviously, both teams uh, from week one, not the outcomes that both teams were expecting, a 43 to 13 loss for the Browns. Uh, the team was a little bit undisciplined and obviously, uh, you know, Mayfield looked all out of sorts. So uh, what was the biggest issue that day against the Titans uh, in that week one loss? Yeah, I think like, uh, you know, I, th- I th- most people 
when these, I hate to use the word super team. It's like a hyped up team. People thought the Browns could be really, really good. And I, I still, I still do. Um, but they went into this game, I would say overzealous, over emotional and believing that just because their roster on paper looks better, they were going to win this football game. And I think that caught up with them. So the, the Titans beautifully used sort of what I call a cautious aggression type of game plan on both sides of the football, and the Browns played into that. So obviously 18 penalties, 186 yards, tells a big part of the story of this game. The Browns were consistently behind the sticks offensively, due large in part to their own miscues, their own holding penalties, their own false starts, their own uh, – there's a couple personal fouls, one of which got their starting left tackle, Greg Robinson, thrown out 20 snaps into the game. It was the weirdest game. With, with confidence, I can say it was one of the weirdest football games I, I, I have ever seen. And at the same time, it was 15-13 late into the third quarter. So this football – like the Jets are a very – sorry, the Jets. I know we're talking about Jets. <laughs> the Titans are a very good football team. They were the worst draw for the Browns in week one. I shouldn't say the Titans. Are, they're good. They're solid. They're, 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 they're a team that always plays to their competition's level, both good and bad. And in the Browns situation where gelling still had to happen, uh, where a lot of this product on the field was the first time as a cohesive unit, they've seen live action because not all 11 were playing both sides of the football during preseason. This was a bad draw. And the Titans sort of – I thought game plan wise, coaching wise, used a lot of that uh, in, the, in the right way. That they played through the whistle, and that evoked some anger issues from the Browns. They had two personal foul penalties. Miles Garrett threw an open hand hit uh, after a play to Delaney Walker, and then I told you about Greg Robinson. But there were two roughing the passer penalties on the Browns, which were just really asinine things to do in the situations that they were they were given. And they these guys know they shouldn't do that. And then there were holding penalties. That, that really hurt them offensively too. So they faced eight third and 12 plus situations, or sorry, third and 10 plus situations. And then four of which had a 14 yard or more label on it as well. So they were behind the sticks all day. And in the NFL, you cannot live that way with half of that, let alone eight of them in those situations. But that doesn't, that doesn't take away from a good game from Tennessee, the right game plan to beat the Browns aggression defensively. The Browns just had this emotion at home in front of the crowd and all these expectations. And they wanted to play so hard and so fast and so uh, 100%. And you need some of that to be good, but at the same time, you need to be able to channel that and harness it and play a cerebral game. And they didn't do that. And the Titans took advantage with some screen plays and some max protection shots downfield that worked out for them. But don't get it wrong. I mean, I know Baker Mayfield, it says he has three interceptions. And while that's true, he was a 91 grade through three quarters. He played three really good quarters of football. Was at 22 of 29 for 270 and a touchdown going into the fourth quarter. He was overcoming. They lost. So I mentioned they lost Greg Robinson. He overcame the issues of uh, Greg Robinson going out. Then they lose their swing tackle who comes in to play left tackle. Kendall Lamb uh, is, is rolled up on, on, a, on a sack. So they had to play a, a guy named Justin McCray, who they just brought over from Green Bay. They had to play him at, at right tackle and slide Chris Hubbard, who struggled all day over to left tackle. So it was a makeshift line. May, Mayfield played pretty well, uh, but the fourth quarter he missed a throw to Odell. He was late, and it was inaccurate on a, on a glance route, and it was picked off. And then from there, it was all of a sudden the score went to 29-13 with 10 minutes left, and it just it felt like a losing cause, and there were a couple of late just weird interceptions that I just think the probability of the things and Mayfield's pressing and 
I'm not making excuses for him. The, the, the last, those three interceptions were bad throws, but given the situation, I just think he was trying to do too much. So I think you would look at that score and see 43-13 and presume blowout, but it was not a blowout. It was far from a blowout until about 10 minutes left and then a couple of interceptions, uh, you know, under the eight-minute mark, and it looks much worse than it is. So, uh, you know, Browns fans are expecting a regression to the mean. They're expecting less penalties because you just don't see that many penalties. The most penalties the Browns have had in the game since 1954, which is just preposterous to think about. And they obviously are going to expect a little bit better line play as they get everybody back into those positions and they have their five guys back together. So there's reasons for optimism. The defense played pretty well, too, considering just a couple, um, you know, a couple unfortunate plays that put them in bad spots and all of a sudden the game looks worse than it is. Of course, of course. Um, now, obviously, um, you know, you mentioned some of Baker's struggles and obviously, you know, the positives uh, and the negatives, um, obviously the turnovers that he had, but he also injured his hand. Um, and I, I've been following the injury report uh, and it looks like uh, it, it doesn't seem to be anything serious and it looks like he should be ready to go on Monday night, correct? Yeah, I didn't see anything specifically with the hand. I did see him take a shot in the end zone on a safety he took a hit up under his ribs from the blind side, and I thought that was like a collarbone thing. I don't know where the hand comes from. That must have been late, uh, but I don't think it's very serious. He practiced right away. Speaking from experience, you know, if you hurt your hand as a quarterback, if it's swollen, like I've had that, I've thrown, I've hit a helmet, and um, it takes, you know, it could take five days for the swelling to go down. So I, I think he wouldn't be practicing very much, and uh, if that were any kind of real issue with the hand wrist area, I think he's fine. I, I wouldn't expect there to be anything slowing him down, um, you know, on, on this side of things for the Browns. Of course. Um, now you mentioned the defense and, and they played pretty well into the third quarter. Obviously uh, the offense kind of got away and, and that's when the Titans pulled away. Um, the Jets offensive line last week um, looked out of sorts, obviously, which was uh, expected by most because uh, the Jets starting offensive line that had, basically zero time together in the, in the off season during camp uh, and no games, uh, no preseason game snaps with each other. Um, so obviously the, it looks like um, the, they had the Browns, I believe they had about four or five sacks uh, on Sunday against the Titans. Um, is, is this Jets offensive line ripe for the picking um, for the Browns defense to, to be a major factor uh, because Darnold did struggle a little bit on Sunday, obviously that we've seen completion percentage was up. Uh, but not many shots downfield, uh, and I think that was due to, you know, him not having as much time, which, which kind of put him off balance. He had poor footwork. It kind of messed with his mechanics, and, and, and he made some bad throws. So, um, you know, how do you think that this defensive line is going to affect uh, the offensive line and, and Darnold just like maybe the Bills did on Sunday? Well, I, I think that would be a better question for you. I mean, I'm, I'm, I can tell you I think they're going to let these front four get after it. I don't think they're going to blitz a ton. I know I talked to Eric Turner, cover one, who does Buffalo content, and he, he talked about they did a lot of blitzing, Buffalo did, and sort of took away the quick answer that Sam Darnold would have off that blitz and sort of trapped him, trap coveraged him in. So I think the Browns will probably try to let their front four play. How do the Jets handle it? I'm not, I'm not well-versed in what their offensive line looks like. I'm looking at their defense currently. I do know that people I talk to or come across are not very, uh, you know, I should say they're not very fond of what the Jets have up front. But that's, I guess, a better question for you. I, I think the Browns will try to continue to go after it. If, if, they, if they look at what Tennessee did, though, that's the remedy, which is, which is sort of play tight splits, give help to, to whoever Miles Garrett's over, give help, hope that the tight splits take advantage of 
passing along and helping out block Sheldon Richardson and Larry Ogunjobi and then Olivier Vernon, you just kind of have to swallow that pill and let them go one-on-one often. But I don't know. Do you think the Jets, you know, offensive line is capable handling the Browns front four independently? I honestly, unfortunately, for the Jets' sake, I do not. Um, the right side is very weak. Uh, Brandon Shell and Winters on the right side uh, were a mess on Sunday. Um, you know, the center position, obviously, we know what K- Khalil is capable of, uh, but he even said himself that a lot of the communication issues were his fault. Um, they did look out of sorts. Uh, there were some times where Sam finally had time and he did get into a rhythm, uh, but there was more times. Uh, there was times where Winters was, was thrown on the floor, uh, and Shell was just out of sorts. So the right side really worries me. Obviously, we know with Osemele on the left side, uh, as well as Beecham, they're solid. Uh, but unless the right side can figure it out, I, I think that's where you're going to see Garrett lining up. And, and again, if, if Khalil still isn't feeling comfortable with communication, that, that opens up things for guys like Sheldon Richardson, who is a former Jet. And he might be looking to play with some extra juice because he's back in MetLife Stadium. He used to call himself the MetLife Monster. And you know, I, I think this defensive line is going to pose a trouble for the offensive line. But then again, maybe finally a game, they kind of saw some film. Maybe they can gel and get things together for week two. Um, but I'm not so certain of that. It, it was a concern. Obviously, our secondary is a big concern when it comes to the cornerbacks. That's our, our biggest weakness on the team. And I think that's where this game is going to be won and lost for the most part. Uh, but, but, the, but the offensive line is right there for me because – that's going to keep Darnold out of his rhythm. Um, you know, we didn't see a lot of play calls um, for Darnold, which is, you know, his strength is being able to be on the run and, and make those throws and, um, you know, those, those organized chaos throws where he's all over the place and then, you know, he makes something happen and there's a guy open and he delivers. Um, I don't know if that was, was specific from Gase because he wasn't sure what the offensive line was going to provide in week one or if that's a sign of things to come, which – a lot of us are, are worried about and unhappy about because, you know, if, if they're not playing to Darnold's strength then this team is not going to be successful offensively. So that right side of that offensive line is my biggest concern on offense. And then, like I just said, with the cornerbacks, um, Tremaine Johnson was terrible on Sunday. Um, Daryl Roberts was not far behind. Uh, Poole, our, our, our nickel guy, you know, he played solid, but our main corners right now on the outside are a big concern. And when you've got Beckham to worry about, and you've got Landry to worry about, and you've got Njoku to worry about, and even Higgins, um, who's somebody um, – Cole Beasley had a decent day as well. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm really worried about the Jets being able to if, – if their offense gets going, I don't know if they're going to be able to keep up with the Browns because I'm really worried in what their, their secondary can do because Baker Mayfield is better than Josh Allen, whether Baker had a bad game last week or not. That's just, that's just the facts. It's proven last year. I know that it's going to be proven this year. Um, so that's my biggest concern is, is, is can this secondary and this – our safeties with obviously Jamal and Marcus May are studs. We know that. But it's the corners that going into the season we knew was going to be bad and it was even worse than we expected on Sunday. Yeah, I would say that the Browns will attack that offensive line, I would imagine. So they, they, they played Tennessee heavy box. They, they thought Tennessee was going to run like crazy and establish the run and then sort of take the, take the air out of the stadium – and the time off the clock, and they loaded the box, and they gave a ton of one-on-one situations, and A.J. Brown was able to capitalize. And then late in the game, Delaney Walker sort of snuck out and made some plays too. So I think they're they're probably going to say, let's see if we can get pressure initially. Let's see if we can get pressure on Sam through our front four organically. If we can't, 
as the game wears on, we will start to bring extra people. But my initial expectation for Wilkes is to, is to, is to sort of um, simulate pressure, uh, walk guys up, put guys sugar the A-gaps, things like that, to make Sam think people are coming but back out, bail out, and then let the front four eat, let them twist, let them do some different exchanges, or just let them straight up, you know, play gap sound rush lane defense. Because like you said, like Sam uh, is like Baker in a way that they like to occasionally get out of the pocket to throw, not to run, to throw, to make things happen outside the pocket and that chaos structure that those guys like, um, because it can, you know, it can open them. They both throw the ball well on the run. So I think that the good thing for both of these teams probably is they have quarterbacks who play in a similar fashion to an extent, and they see that in practice all the time. So I think the Browns will attack. Uh, like I said, initially they're just going to try to see if they can, they can get home with four and, and drop coverage and, and make Sam beat them down the field with his arm uh, while also hoping that the front four that they're paying good money to can get after, um, you know, get after the, the, the Jets that way. Uh, and then, you know, defensively, I don't know what the Browns are going to do on offense because, and I'm sure that the coaches in, in New York, like Greg Williams knows this team better than anybody, but he's probably going to look at this game film and be a little bit pissed off because, you know, the Browns sat in 11 personnel, 90, 92, 93, 94% of the time. And they, they were so far behind the sticks because of those weird penalty situations or whatever that you couldn't get a feel for what they really wanted to do offensively all day. And I think that that is something that's probably going to bother uh, Greg a little bit because it's still a lot left in the Browns sort of bag of tricks for what they want to be or who they want to be offensively so I do think you know watching that Buffalo film Greg Williams still does a lot of the same things in coverage he still plays cover two where he plays you know two walked up outside corners and he'll put two deep safeties or if he's playing cover one man free stuff he, he will still have the safety lined up 20 25 yards off the ball mm-hmm. and he does all of those predictable things. Baker saw it all in practice last year and to an extent, uh, you know, at least in camp and stuff. You know, when the season starts, you do more team-based scout team type stuff. But he saw a lot of it. Those, these guys know each other well. So it's going to be who can kind of counter their tendencies and, uh, and take advantage of things. But I expect Greg to throw the kitchen sink at him. I expect him to throw some different exotic blitzes at, at Baker and try to confuse him try to confuse the offensive line. But I do think, like, if I'm just looking at this on paper, you know, up front, I I don't – certainly don't see – and this is no disrespect, and I don't want Jets fans to think I'm saying this in a disrespectful manner. But I don't see anyone the level – Jets fans don't overreact at all, trust me. (laughs) (laughs) I just don't see anybody the level of Cam Wake who's going to give them fits off the edge. Now, Quentin Williams is a hell of an interior player. That's a fact, yeah. Yeah, but I know Quinn is dealing with an ankle. So, you know, the Brown strength of their offensive line is the interior. So how they manage that will be interesting to see. Linebacker-wise, you know, the good thing for the, for the Jets is that they can handle linebacker issues to an extent in pass coverage because you have two stellar safeties who you can lock on and do some things with and have fun there. But, if I, I mean, I know that I don't think C.J. practiced today. He's still dealing with the groin, right? Yeah, he, he did not practice today again. Uh, but Gase does seem confident that he's going to be able to play on Monday night. So, I mean, we'll see how that goes. Obviously, once we get to Friday, and and usually if a guy's missing practice on Friday, that usually means he's not going to play on Sunday. Uh, But Gase's confidence seems to be remaining um, that Mosley will likely be out out there. And he even mentioned the same for Quinnen, which is is kind of interesting too, because obviously he did leave in the walking boot, uh, but they Mm -hmm. did mention that it was a sprain. They didn't say what level. So, they sound like they're both going to be ready to go, but obviously we won't really know until we get those inactives on Monday. Sure, absolutely. Um, you know, I was impressed with Neville Hewitt. I thought he played his butt off, had that interception on the tip, and he was all over the backfield too. I, I think he's going to be a good player 
just sort of the snippets I've seen. But the Browns have to look at this and say, hey, man, you know, we got Odell Beckham for these these types of games where he can he can play a player like Tremaine and have an advantage. And then you have uh, Jarvis Landry playing Brian Poole in the slot. You've got to think that that's an advantage based on sheer ability that Jarvis can take advantage of things. And then Daryl Roberts, you said the corners didn't play well. I think I'm giving you a Browns perspective on things. And I think that they're going to look at this with Higgins and this group and think that we can take advantage of of, uh, of things on paper. Does paper mean anything? No, but I know the Browns are going to go into this game looking at this as a pseudo Super Bowl in terms of they have to win this football game uh, because next three weeks are really challenging. They welcome in the Rams on Sunday night football the following week on a short week. And then they uh, travel to Baltimore, which will be a test as it always is because Baltimore is a very good football team and they just well coached. And then they go all the way on the West coast for a Monday night game in San Francisco. So I would imagine um, the Browns coaching staff looked at this thing. They flipped the coin and said, maybe we win week one, maybe we don't, but we got to get week two because these next, you know, the Browns go 0 and 2. You welcome in the Rams, you're 0 and 3. If that we're going to, you know, all of a sudden you're looking at a really bad start and, uh, they don't want that. So they know they got to combat this really tough first five weeks and they're going to look at this game and they're going to throw everything they have at it. And I think as weird as it sounds, um, the Browns would obviously have preferred to win week one, but they didn't. And, 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 but the good thing for them is that they didn't put much on film offensively or even defensively that they're going to do to teams who aren't in the situation Tennessee is in. When Tennessee was dealing with Taylor Luan being hurt, their left tackle, they were missing their right guard. So they brought a really weird, offensive very protected offensive game plan to Cleveland and then like I said the Browns were so far behind the sticks so often offensively that I just don't think you got a feel for how they really want to sequence things you know first and ten second and six third and two those sorts of situations second and two second and three what they're going to do in those situations so um, it could work both ways it could it could be the Browns just aren't as good as we think they are they're going to be continue to be this undisciplined football team and um, they're just completely overhyped or it's a team that was just caught off guard week one and they have a lot of uh, they have a lot of you know sort of things brewing behind the scenes that's ready to take off when they play a, a normal football game that isn't affected by a ludicrous amount of penalties and um, you know uh, affected by ejections and things of that nature so this game to me is infinitely more interesting than week one from a Browns perspective because it's going to paint a pretty clear you know, picture for both of these teams. And I think the Jets obviously got settled into a little bit of who they are. Unfortunate they lost that game. I thought they were going to win it there, especially just watching the film. They felt in control of it, you know, creating four turnovers. But it just didn't seem like they got enough going offensively to sustain um, the second half, putting up the points like they needed to. Yeah, I, and, and, and the frustrating thing is, is, is I meant to look into it and never got to it. I mean – it's very rare. I, it has to be. I mean, there, it may not have happened ever before in a football game before that a team forces four turnovers, uh, has a pick six, and has a safety and loses the football game. Um, it was very frustrating when they were up 16 to nothing late into the third quarter. Um, I actually turned to everybody who was with me at my house and I said, they're losing this game 17 to six. I just, as a Jets fan, you've seen so many things happen uh, and so many things went against them. Once C.J. Mosley went out, uh, the defense looked totally different. Um, and Look, that's I'm telling you, that is such a feeling that we can relate to, mm -hmm. both of us, because I'll tell you what, a quick tangent, I'll let you jump back in. The Browns were up 20 to nothing on Baltimore three years ago, maybe even four years ago. I think it was three years ago. They went up 20 to nothing right away. They had a PAT blocked and returned for two points, and the entire stadium was defeated. I'm telling you, you would have thought that Baltimore just scored 30 points on one play. 
Baltimore comes back and, of course, wins that football game 23-21 or something like 26-21. But that's the feeling you get when you're sort of a Murphy's Law fan base, which I think the Browns and Jets mutually are. There's probably some others that get sprinkled into this, but it just feels like the minute anything can go wrong, you just know where the game is heading. And I think that that's – it's really hard to defeat because in First Energy Stadium Sunday, when anything went wrong, when the first – the Browns went down the field and scored so effortlessly, scored an eight-play – seven-play, 73 yards, something silly like that. It looked great. They missed the PAT, and you could just sense it. You can feel it. It's a tangible feeling in the stadium of 70,000 people thinking, here we go again, and it's overwhelming. I think you probably experienced that a lot too. Oh, absolutely. Like I said, um, with Vedvik, he missed the extra point uh, after the pick six, and then he missed a field goal uh, later in the game, which obviously we lost 17 to 16. That's four points we left on the board. Obviously, that's the difference in the game. Obviously, there was other factors in the game. But when you leave four points on the field and you lose by one, obviously, you should have won that game. Um, you know, so obviously, Vedvik isn't kicking anymore. Sam Ficken will be the new kicker. Um, we've obviously added Demarius Thomas, who um, Gates said it will be playing on Monday night, which we've, he'll be replacing Quincy Inunua, who was not a factor on Sunday. Comes to find out he has the neck injury, which is going to end his season. Um, so, you know, a lot of moving parts for the Jets on offense. So it's going to be kind of, you know, hard to predict what the offense is going to do. Obviously, we know what the plan is and how Gates operates, but with with plugging in Demarius Thomas now and trying to get Robbie Anderson going, um, we saw that um, Jameson Carter last week um, had 14 receptions on 17 targets for 99 yards, so it's, he seems to be the new Jarvis Landry for Gase. Um, uh, I did say he was going to lead the Jets in, target, uh, in receptions this year, which looks like it's going to be the case. So, um, you know, yeah, 17 Gase, targets is wild, man. Yeah, that's that's so, and, something and, the Browns will have to focus on. Yeah, for sure. And it's going to be interesting to see how Gase utilizes and, and how many targets even Demarius Thomas gets because he's got to come in and play immediately. So, you know, Monday night is going to be interesting because, I, like you mentioned, Greg Williams, it's kind of a revenge game from hit for him. Um, you know, whether he would like to admit it or not, he we know he thought he should have gotten that job and he didn't. And everybody knows how Greg Williams is. So it's going to be interesting. Like you said, he didn't get enough on film that he's going to like because the Browns were behind the sticks a lot. So it's going to be very interesting to see how, how Greg comes after Baker. Um, because also, like you said, you know, we don't have a pass rush. Um, you know, Leonard Williams gets back there a lot, but um, you know, QB Hurries is, is the stat that everybody seems to love now. Um, to me, sex, that that's, that's where you disrupt the quarterback. I understand, you know, the hurries, it, it forces an errant throw, um, you know, and, and things like that. But if you're not consistently getting in the backfield and, and sacking the quarterback, at least uh, you're giving them far too much time to, to, to make an impact on the game. Um, and I don't trust our line yet because I didn't see it last week. They did, they did get after Allen a little bit forced to fumble. Um, but it, it's not something that you're, you're looking at this jets front and saying, okay, yes, they're coming and Baker needs to be worried because I just don't believe that's the case. Yeah, I think this game will boil down to how, they, how each group's offensive line plays. If, if one quarterback has a, you know, an offensive line or a structure within the scheme that is keeping protection safe, giving him enough time to process and develop, uh, I think that that'll swing things. If, if the Browns have another tackle performance like their two had week one, I think it'll be a massive advantage for the Jets, and mistakes can obviously happen, and then – it's really how the Jets' entire offensive line handles handles the Browns' defensive line, who I think will come out very hungry to to uh, 
to, to get pressure on Sam. So it should be fascinating, man. It'll be a good game, and it's, it'll be prime time. My hope is just that, you know, Browns had week one with Nance and Romo and a lot of anticipation, and it was the worst live football game I've seen in a long time. When you have between the two teams 28 penalties, it just feels like every snap is a penalty. And it's it's every snap. <laughs> Even Nance commented on and said, "Guess what? We have another pen." You could just tell it wore everybody out. So my hope is, you know, it's Monday Night Football. I know that the the Thursday Night game didn't work out for the Jets last year, but it was good theater. It was a good football game at its core. And I think that uh, I think that this one, at least I hope this one, will be in that similar sort of fashion. Yeah, I mean, obviously this is two teams. Obviously the Browns with a little bit higher expectations for for playoffs. A lot of people have predicted that the Jets could get an extra wild card with winning nine, possibly 10 games. I never saw that at the beginning of the year. I thought that they would be competing, but I didn't think that they were a playoff team. But now it, it is week two, but it's a must win for both teams. I mean, the first six games for the Jets are very difficult. Um, if they don't get a win this week, they could be looking at 0-6 at one point. So um, it's an important game for them to try to get off the snide and kind of head in a direction where they believe they can go. And then you've got the Browns, um, you know, who are a team that, that, that you've said, obviously the next three games are tough for them. So it, it's an early must win game for, for two teams who, who, who are snake bitten franchises who are looking to finally turn things around, who seem to have their quarterbacks. Um, one thing I did want to touch on as well, before we started to wrap things up is that um I don't know if you've noticed it on your end, but as a Jets fan on my end on Jets Twitter, I've noticed that there's, there's just a, a weird type of hatred um, for any time Sam Darnold gets some praise and people don't mention Baker Mayfield. I know a lot of Browns fans are sensitive when, when people get praise over Baker and, and I've noticed it. So I just wanted to, uh, your, your take on that. If that's something you've noticed. Yeah. The fan base is super sensitive about Baker, no matter what they have, you know, they have, um, this this thing about this guy hasn't played a full year of 16 football games in terms of 16 games in his career. I think he's going to be good. I think there's proof on tape that he could be good, but you know, quarterback progress isn't linear, and 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 you never know how it's going to go. It could be filled with, you know, with an ubiquitous amount of ups and downs, and and week one sort of prove that the good can come with the bad. You know, three quarters of great, but one quarter of terrible, and it just looks bad, and it, the perception of it's a terrible game, and rightfully so. I think Browns Twitter is protective of him. Uh, they, they think the world of him because they just want, they just have been so desperate for a quarterback for so long. And uh, I, I, I'm to be honest, Browns Twitter and the fan base doesn't compare Baker to the rookie class. They think he's just above everybody. Uh, they, they, have, they compare him to the likes of Watson and trying to think he's better than Wentz and uh, that stuff's not there yet for me. And I think he's a good player. I think he's going to be fantastic continue to improve but he has to steadily show he is at that tier and he's not there yet I I saw the write-up about Gase wanting uh, Mayfield over 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 Darnold and uh, you know I these guys should just worry and I'm sure these two do it's just the fan bases should just worry about their guy and but it's hard they're all in the same class so like if you see Mayfield doing well you're like we want Sam to be at that level and I I get it I I certainly get it it's just it's it's the sort of complexion that everybody has uh, about about Sam and I think Sam his last three weeks were so fun to me I, I was fine personally with if they would have taken Darnold I actually was pretty convinced I was a Baker guy before anybody else was a Baker guy like early October of that of that draft season I was all in but I got to the point that I really believed they were taking Sam and I was fine with it because I understood the thought process behind it and uh, I still think Sam will be a good quarterback I graded him really highly 
And uh, I, I think that eventually down the road as these things sort of level out, it'll be, it'll be Baker and Darnold that end up being the two best from this class. Yeah, and for me, it, when it came to the quarterbacks, I had, I had accepted long that, that Darnold was going one. So um, it was down to obviously Baker and Rosen for me. I loved Baker, didn't think he would be good for New York. So I completely talked myself into Rosen. And then draft day came and, and everything changed. So, um, like I said, it's very weird to see, like, there's Jets fans arguing with Browns fans. And I'm like, I love Baker. I love Darnold. They both can be good. They don't affect each other. It's, and everybody's like, well, it's a rivalry now. It's like they've played once it's, and they've never played in the playoffs. So it's just a really weird dynamic that's been formulated over the last year and a half. And it's, just, it's kind of fun to watch because it, it's just it's weird to me. It is, it is weird. It'll never stop. Everybody's protective over their quarterback, and they want to believe their quarterback is better than others. It's just it's this weird dynamic of, of, of protective, this is our guy, and we're going to stand and support our – got to look at it objectively, man. You can't, you can't slant everything you have toward your guy and just uh, respect, you know, respect the guy's game, man. That, that's, that's what it is. That's why I was so happy to see Sam put together that end of the year last year because he's a baller and I think he's going to continue to ball. So, you know, I hope, I hope both guys go for three fifty and four touchdowns. I just hope the, the Jets miss one of their extra points and the Browns win by a point. <laughs> Don't wish that evil on me. <laughs> so let's, let's uh, on that note, let's wrap everything up. Um, give me your prediction for, uh, for the game final score and how things are going to factor out. I'm going to go 31, 17 Browns. I think the Browns find a way to put up a good number of points. Um, I think the Jets jump out early, though. I think the Jets jump out maybe 17 – or, sorry, maybe 7 to 10, nothing, so something along those lines. But the Browns just sort of wear them down, wear their depth down. Nick Chubb's going to have an important role in this game. He ran 17 times, 75 yards, but they did not commit to him when they needed to. And a lot of those – say 25 of those yards came late cheap. I think they're going to really try to run the football and, and then sort of take some shots downfield off of that because they didn't take any shots downfield really last week. So – I expect that sort of approach, and I think it'll work for the Browns, and I think they're gonna, I think they're gonna win, uh, and that's that's no bias. That's just looking on paper. I called them to lose last week on some publications as the game got close. So, um, you know, I just I just think the Browns are gonna treat this like, like the the the, the massive event that it needs to be for them, and I think they're gonna respond pretty well to it. I, I unfortunately agree. Um, you know, and and things are starting to go downhill for the Jets quickly. Um, you, the media is going after the coach. Uh, typical New York stuff, uh, but I do think that the Browns are going to win this game uh, 24-17. Um, I just think that the the cornerback issues are going to become huge, uh, and they're not going to be able to start stop Beckham and Landry when the time presents itself. And, and Tremaine has just been an awful signing for the Jets, um, and the position wasn't addressed by the previous GM. So uh, I'm going Browns 24-17. I am going to be at the game. Um, I haven't been to MetLife in about three years or so, so I'm looking forward to it. I like to go and see teams that I haven't seen yet, and I am a Baker fan, so that's why I chose this game this year, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and I, I you know, look forward to, to hearing how it goes for you, and, and happy birthday. I hope it's a good one, and um, you know, maybe we'll have this conversation later in the year at a wild card. That'd be fun. Absolutely. Appreciate your time, Jake. Um, let everybody know where they can follow you and everything. Um, and, and once we get, you know, the, the podcast will be releasing Thursday, like it always does, we'll get all the information out there. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm at Jake underscore Burns 18 on Twitter. And then uh, all of my stuff content wise is at the uh, Orange and Brown Report, which is uh, at the OBR on, on Twitter as well. And then I have Brown's Film Breakdown, which is my own podcast, which this way on also 
um, Browns Film Breakdown, and that's on Twitter at Browns Film BDN for short. So that's all my stuff. I, I really appreciate you having me, and uh, um, you know, I hope I hope we have a good game Monday. Awesome. Thanks again, Jake. Appreciate it. Yep, my pleasure. Before we get to our next guest, I am going to keep in your ear about my bookie. They're just fantastic. They're the trusted source for online sports gambling, and if you're a degenerate like myself, you should trust them too. They're great at what they do. They're offering fantastic bonuses. Let me let me put it this way. If you found 100 bucks on the street, would you pick it up or keep walking? I bet you pick that money up. So why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them? You can make money. You guys have winners in mind. You know the game. Go to my bookie. It's fast. It's easy. They pay you when you get you know those W's you're talking about. You, you bet the line. You win. They're going to pay you quick. Do the smart thing. If you're going to bet football at all this season, bet with my bookie. You know you can bet on games after kickoff because you can. They'll adjust those lines. They'll give you a fair shake. They always have. If you're the kind of guy who likes to bet a little to win a lot, try those parlays. Those parlays are fantastic for putting in ten bucks. Maybe turn that ten bucks into seven hundred bucks. Something crazy if you pick enough games. So the place to go is my bookie. Use the promo code BlueWire to activate the offer. That's promo code BlueWire. You get a double your first deposit bonus. Visit mybookie. This is important. Mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, and you get paid. All right, we are going to get over to our friend at Cover One Sports, Eric Turner, and he is going to talk to us all about how the Bills were able to beat the Jets. We'll be right back. Okay, Jets Week's here. I want to talk uh, about moving on from the Week 1 loss, and there's no better way to do that as we prepare for what the Jets bring to the table than to talk about who they just played. They just uh, just lost 17-16 to the Bills. If you're talking Bills, Cover 1 is the source for all that information. Eric Turner, my man, is here with me. Eric obviously does his own thing at Cover 1. That's Cover1.net, which you can find everything. And it's not just limited to the Bills. He's got resources on the Cowboys. Who else do you have resources on, Eric? Uh, Cowboys, Giants. I mean, we scout the upcoming upcoming opponents and everything. So yeah, I mean, you can find our work there. Uh, we do you know a lot of scouting reports, and then at the Athletic, I also write for the Cover One, our Athletic Buffalo. So I mean, we we do a little bit of everything. Jake, you know, man, you were with us for a little bit. Yes, yeah, right, man. I, I was. And then things at the OBR, and then the Browns people are like, okay, we need this guy with the Browns. So I, uh, yeah. I had to I had to jump back. But no, there's I've I've told people I've talked to that that what Eric does at Cover One inspired me to sort of take a Brown spin on this with Browns Film Breakdown, and then sort of caveat it into the OBR and Cleveland.com and everywhere I've been, this was the inspiration. So I have the utmost respect for what Eric does. He's a grinder. I try to, I try to, I try to work as hard as anybody. And I think I found the guy who works harder than me. So if you're not following the cover one page, it's not, like I said, if you cultivate your Twitter feed based on just Brown's insight, I think you're probably doing it wrong. It's good to get stuff from around the league. So if you're looking for, like I said, uh, anything on Cowboys, Giants, and, and specifically great stuff on the bills, Eric will be the guy. And we'll have Eric on later when the Browns do face uh, the Bills, I don't know, week eight, seven, nine, oh, yeah. and I don't yeah. know. It's out there somewhere. We'll, <laughs> it's we'll have be a good fun, man. Yeah, for sure. We won't give away any secrets. We both know too much, right? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, let's talk about this game. So it's 17-16. looks like the Bills come back. Uh, you know, going into this one, Eric, where did you sort of see? If you're looking at going into this one, your feelings going into it, how the Bills would win this game if they did, did those sort of impressions of what they needed to do line up with what actually happened? 
Well, it was really tough to scout. I mean, you're a film guy. Uh, you know, the, the uh, Jets have a, a whole new staff, right? I mean, Adam Gase was the head coach there, but he was with the Dolphins. So looking at their film from the Dolphins, taking that is it's pretty easy and how they're going to attack the Bills defense. But on the other side, we you know, they have – uh, the coordinator from your Browns, Greg Williams. So it was tough to kind of get a gauge on how they were going to attack the Bills on both sides of the ball, really. Um, but I thought that uh, the game plan that they used versus Sam Darnold and that, you know, Adam Gase offense versus the new weapons that they had, um, I thought it was brilliant. I mean, uh, when you think about Sam Darnold, you think about, you know, that quick passing game, getting the ball out of his hands. And, and you know, the Bills didn't take an approach where they just sat back, right? They didn't just sit, sit back and play coverage. They said, you know what? Your weakness is that offensive line. They haven't played together at all in the preseason. We're going to come at them. Yes, you have a lot of veterans, Brian Winters, Ryan Khalil, Kaleche Osemele, you know, guys like that up front. Well, if you don't play and you're not gelled up front, we're going to attack it. And as you know, the Bills defense is no slouch when it comes to attacking um, opposing offenses last year in 2018. They were fourth in pressure rate uh, this year. Um they they did it in a different way, Jake. They didn't, you know, they didn't use just four. They didn't just use those simulated pressures or creeper pressures where they're showing, you know, four to six guys at the line of scrimmage prior to the snap, but then dropping in the coverage. No, they brought the heat on Sam Darnold. I think that's where the Browns need to start. Now, do they do the Browns necessarily need to do that with their up uh, front four? I don't know what are your thoughts on that. I think, yeah, I think I think they're gonna obviously. My my opinion is they're going to want to see what the front four can handle. They'll start out this game. They they played heavy box fronts against Tennessee because Tennessee, I think going into the game, everybody presumed Tennessee was going to establish, the, at least try to really establish the run. The Browns handled the run game for the most part pretty well. I think that they're going to try to do something similar in terms of making sure they're keeping Le'Veon Bell uh, intact here. I know Quincy Newman was just announced he was out for the year. They did trade for Demarius Thomas there in New York, mm -hmm. but uh, their, their wide receiver group, Robbie Anderson's fine. Um, you know, you need Denzel Ward to be able to play well. He played poorly last week, but I think they're going to want to do something similar in terms of making sure that they don't allow the Jets to run. Looks like the Bills did the same thing, giving up only 60 yards to, to Le'Veon on four carries, or sorry, 17 carries. So um, I, think, I think they're going to want to try to get home, see if they can get home by by putting pressure on Sam with those four and dropping into zone coverage. And like you said, forcing him into making some of those mistakes because kind of like Baker and obviously your guy Josh right now, these yeah. young guys are good for two or three interceptable throws a game. It's just the nature of playing this position, and it's about which team capitalizes on those uh, those plays for the most part. So I All think right. they're going to they're gonna probably try to see how much they're generating early on their own and then and then sort of go from there and look at sort of cultivating a different attack, bringing maybe a nickel here and there, or maybe, like you said, doing some simulated pressure looks where they're, where they're sugaring the A-gaps and then bailing, or even coming after them. You never know. So I think that'll be interesting to pay attention to, especially when we're trying to figure out how much they trust this front to get after the quarterback because the, the Titans didn't allow them to do that. The Titans just said, we're going to do different things that are going to eliminate that. And really when the Titans did, when they did get into third and tens or second and longs, which were very few and far between, the Browns did get home. They were putting pressure on them. They sacked Mariota four times. So, you know, they got home enough. I think they're going to say, you know, in a situation like this, let's just eliminate all of the outside nonsense that happened last week. Let's play our game. Let's see if the front can get after right. him. And I think that's what they'll do. So I'm looking at the box score, though, from from that, from that the Bills-Jets game. It was 16 nothing early. I'm watching the Browns debacle. I don't get to watch anything else, as you know. You're watching your yeah. game. And I was oh, like, totally. man. The, yeah, you're like, the Jets, they must be putting it on them. But then I'm looking at the box score. It's a 17-yard Mosley interception return. I think you talked about 
another couple turnovers that happened, another batted ball around midfield that, that Neville Hewitt picked off. The, the, the box score shows four Bills turnovers to just one New York Jets turnover, but the Bills' defense handled them. They only gave up 223 yards. So, yeah. like, those turnovers happen. You know, it's 16 nothing. Are you, and that's late in the third, 7 1 left in the third. Did you still trust like the, the the game plan seemed like it was going to be able to figure you know figure things out? I know they came back and scored late there in the fourth quarter with three minutes left, but um, just sort of when you're looking at the Jets' defense, did you still trust that you could you know you, your guys could find ways to get down? And how did they find ways to get down the field there late in the third and into the fourth? Well, and that's the thing. I think the game plan on both sides of the ball were very complimentary. The Bills, with four turnovers in the first half, still went into halftime six and nothing, right? And they come out and they're like, you know what? regardless of what happened in the first half, we can still stick to the game plan. And, and, you know, that game plan, again, was timely stops by the defense. Again, you know, they they pressured Sam Darnold 40% of his dropbacks, uh, and they blitzed. The Bills blitzed 38.3% of the time. Last year, they were 20%. So they really brought the house against Sam Darnold, and how they did that was they used a lot of those, you know, those green dog blitzes where if the running back, Le'Veon Bell, uh, decides to stay in the block, well, guess what? We're sending our linebacker. They did a lot of hug rushes, right, Jake, where if that tight end stays in the block, well, guess what? My safety or my linebacker who's on him in man coverage is shooting that gap. So they brought these insert rushes to get Darnold to get rid of the ball, and they forced Darnold uh, to throw it to the, the hot route. He's good at recognizing pressure and blitzes and where it's coming from. So he would throw it short on these third downs, these timely third downs in the second half. And the Bills would just rally with a trap coverage from the corner to come rally up on that number three receiver, whether it's a slot receiver or even a running back out of the backfield. And they would stop them short of the sticks. So, yeah, you know, in late in the third quarter when the, the, the score is still 16-0, you get to that point where like, uh, okay, you know, the, the offense has to do something. And they inserted Devin Singletary into that lineup and started getting him the ball in the run and pass game. And they actually could stick to the, you know, the actual game plan. Like, I think, honestly, Jake, the game plan in this was get up early, pass the ball around, force the Jets to rush the passer a lot because they don't, first of all, they don't have that good of an edge rush. And all of their power is up the middle. They have the Quinnen Williams, the Steve McClendons, and then the Leonard Williams, those guys up the middle that can push a pocket. Well, if they're having to... Uh, rush the passer on 16 straight passes, 18 straight passes, something like that in the first half against the Bills. They were tired. By the end of the game, by that, you know, midway through the third, when the Bills decided, hey, guess what? We can still run the ball. We're only down six to nothing. And then you see Devin Singletary break it, you know, for 20 yards, 23 yards and whatnot. Um, it's it's one of those things where, like, hey, the game was still close, and the offense eventually got a spark from Singletary, the rookie out of FAU. And then, you know, things just started going their way. And the defense is going to be top five no matter what uh, they were last year. So, I mean, leaning on that defense when you have a young quarterback like Josh Allen, um, you're going to need you're going to have moments like that. And uh, you just got to trust that in the end, in the fourth quarter, that quarterback eventually steps up. And Josh Allen did eight for 10 in the fourth quarter for 102 yards and a touchdown. I mean, he led a comeback and uh, uh, that spark was from Devin Singletary. Yeah, complete opposite of Baker's, right? <laughs> Baker was 91 grade through three quarters and then sort of collapsed there in the fourth. But yeah. so four, yeah, four rushes for Singletary, 70 yards, just impressive. And then, but I'm looking back at the Jets. So so Crowder has 17 targets, which is an, it's astounding. 14 catches. That's exactly what I'm yards. talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So they're using him slot based and trying to, 
they used him as an outlet for Blitz stuff, or, or how are they yes. using him? Okay, okay. Um, yeah, so this is what I, I kind of touched upon it. So they run a lot of three-by-one sets to the field. That's nothing out of the ordinary. Uh-huh. But when when Darnold saw the Blitz, he re- he recognized it perfectly on, you know, on point. But he was just getting it to uh, Crowder in that short area on those option routes, on those wiggle or, you know, uh, juke routes across the middle. And they were, you know, they were getting it to him, but then he was getting tackled. There was only a couple explosive plays. Um, the Bills led in, you know, that toxic differential. Um, they had a bunch of explosive plays. And like I had mentioned, a lot of them uh, due to Devin Singletary uh, but and John Brown. But, uh, you know, it was one of those things. Crowder was underneath. They were okay with conceding that. And, and and they were almost blitzed to the point where they knew where that that hot route was going to be. You, when you go back and watch the film, you see Darnold pointing out the, who they're throwing hot of, off of, and then you see the defense reacting right to it and getting to that tackle, uh, make, you know, getting to the ball and making that tackle. It was it's pretty astounding to see. But yeah, I mean, Crowder he racked up those um, catches, but honestly, um, they they weren't anything uh, serious, uh, or you know, they didn't have a big impact on the game. Yeah, so how did you guys get John Brown lose seven catches, a buck twenty three, and a touchdown? How how how'd you use him? Do you expect the Browns to do some similar things with maybe Odell or or, or Richard Higgins, something like that? Okay, so the two things um, I kind of touched upon it. So first thing they did, first quarter, they literally went to a no huddle out of twenty one personnel. So they had like Lee Smith and uh, the tight end Lee Smith out there, a blocking tight end. They had Demarco out there, and they came out a bunch of times in just normal I formations or a twins formation. And then Josh, we get to the line of scrimmage and say, okay, well, we got about eight guys in this box. We're not running it. And he'd check out of it into a passing play. And, you know, th- several times you'll see Josh check out of that uh, formation and play, send that fullback wide. And what does that do, Jake? You know, a former quarterback, that helps uh, the quarterback identify the coverage. So if that, you know, fullback is being covered by Neville Hewitt, a linebacker for the Jets, or, um, you know, a corner's out there with him, that's, that's, pretty much a different coverage that's you're going to see Neville Hewitt's going out there linebacker on a fullback that's telling you that's man coverage so then what they did was they just go to empty sets two by two sets and you know they knew they had man coverage they attacked Daryl Roberts uh the number two corner for the Jets so anytime that Roberts was on John Brown in man coverage um and that was identified prior to snap they just went after him and so uh John Brown even got loose versus their number one cornerback Tremaine Johnson there's John Brown's a different animal he's a little guy but he's obviously a blazer. But he, you know, he got open on a lot of deep crossers. The Bills love running those deep crossers over the middle. You know, more of a mesh route, but down the field, more air raidish, but down the field. And as you know, you know, having studied Greg Williams' film, he likes to play a lot of that deep safety, single high safety looks. Um, when when they're in man coverage, no one could cover John Brown, and he actually was the one that scored the go ahead touchdown at the end of the game. They play. You know, knowing Greg like I did, I'm curious your answer on this. They play more man zone. They 50-50 it. What you see? No, it was very cut and dry. Like I said, the no huddle and the personnel grouping really it really limited Greg what he could do because early on you saw that he wanted to blitz. He wanted to stack the box to stop the run. But when they went to that, to that grouping and no huddle, you saw Mosley check out into Tampa 2. In the first quarter, I, I counted how many times – the defense and Greg Williams defense played Tampa two or some inverted cover two look, it was 10 out of 16 plays. So that, that, uh, you know, personnel grouping and that game plan really dictated what, uh, Greg Williams wanted to do early on. Now, of course they did make some changes later. And when the bills got man coverage, I mean, they had enough guys that could separate versus their corners because their corners is a weak spot for them. 
Yeah, I think that's something the Browns will want to do. You guys are, you know, you're talking about a, a good game plan there from Dable, which is anytime you can you can use any sort of motion, whether back motion or anything, that's going to uncover what the defense is doing coverage wise. It becomes easy. It becomes easier to function as a as an offense, knowing as a quarterback, especially like Eric mentioned there, that it's going to give you opportunities to know if it's man coverage, I know what my man beater is here. If it's zone, I have a good feeling it's going to be Tampa 2 based on what they're doing. I know what my two beater is here. So that is something I expect the Browns will want to do. Uh, like you said, if they can get the, the Jets into man-to-man situations, I think it's where – I think that's the location or the situation yeah. in the game in which the Browns will feel really comfortable um, really comfortable, you know, pushing the football downfield with a better personnel sure. group of wide receiver. How did uh, you know, run game got loose? It looks like Gore kind of bottled up there for twenty yards on eleven touches. Singletary's four touches for seventy. How did those get loose? What schemes did they use there? Uh, they did a lot of twelve personnel, and what they did was uh, pin and pull. So again, you don't want to run up the middle versus you know Greg Williams's bare fronts, his tight fronts. And when they have seven or eight guys in the box, and what they did was anytime um, the Bills brought in twelve personnel, and, and and Williams had that bare front, all they did was do a little pin and pull. So you get a down block at the point of attack, get a couple pullers from the backside, whether it's the center and the guard, and lead to the front side of the play. Um, they they went off tackle. Uh, they didn't run too many plays outside the ta- uh, tight ends. Uh, they went right off tackle. You know, um, a, a few of the big plays where Quinn Williams was uh, basically uh, a four eye or a three tech in their defense, and they just down blocked on him and got a couple pl- uh, linemen play side um, pulling, and, and and Singletary just did the rest. Um, he he had some really good runs, but he also had some really good blocks um, against the Jets. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. Nick Chubb is 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 going to be based on how the Browns played behind this. I would expect if I was New York, looking at how I expect the Browns to attack, um, I think that they will try to use Nick in, in a various amount of schemes early to to sort of style. He only six carries in the first half, which was a problem for them for right. what for what they want to be. So this is good, man. Good insight, uh, you know, for 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 Browns fans who are looking at. How the Jets handled it. it looks like the Browns have to find a way to get coverage on full to get them into man-to-man off, and, and then uh, you know offensively, like you said, with with uh, with the Bills, is just sort of trust it, stay with it, wear them down, grind them down, yeah. and then test their depth, especially along the front. You have C.J. Mosley, like you mentioned earlier, who's a big part of their defense, dealing with a groin. Quinn Williams is dealing with an ankle. They're already depleted at linebacker, and they're overmatched at corner. So yeah. um, you know, pick pick the sidelines apart, and then like you said, mix up your front. In terms of what you're doing to uh, to get numbers advantages in the run game, and then and then defensively, it's just about keeping Sam Darnold guessing, bringing some heat, getting heat on him, and then and then taking away his quick answers. So this is good stuff, Eric. I appreciate you joining me, man. And uh, you know, Browns fans, I hope you guys can follow along with Eric's work, and then we will we will touch base with him uh, later on in the year. Hopefully, we'll have yes, two, team, two teams with good records and maybe early playoff <laughs> hunt going on there, buddy. No, thanks for having me on, Jake. Okay, so big shout-out to Paul and Eric for joining me today uh, for this episode of, of Brown's Film Breakdown. I think they gave us great, great insights into who the Jets are, how you play that team, what they're trying to accomplish on both sides of the football. It's going to be a fascinating game Monday night. The, re- the injury report uh, has C.J. Mosley on it, who left the game with the groin injury there in the third quarter, and their defense, New York's defense, 
suffered without him. They're already without Avery Williamson depleted at linebacker as is, and uh, losing Mosley really hurt them. Uh, and I'm not sure. It sounds like he's making some progress. Probably a good thing for the Jets that this game is on a Monday, not a Sunday. Extra day of rest. Quinn and Williams is not practicing again with the ankle. They think he'll be ready too. I would plan on both of those guys be ready. Sam Darnold has some sort of, you know, sickness, a, a, a flu or something. He'll be ready. He'll play. So, um, but other than that, Quincy and Nunwa has lost for the year, but he wasn't quite being himself. So they made the Demarius Thomas trade. I expect both teams to be playing a lot of their healthier players, and uh, it, it should be interesting. The Browns are the better football team, though. They're better on paper. They, they, they you know, Adam Gase, Greg Wood, they, they're a better coaching. So they should win. If they, listen, if the Browns don't win this football game, there is a bigger problem on our hands than uh, we understand. So they're, they're going into this game knowing that they need to win. The talent is there. The infrastructure is there. They just have to get it done. I'm predicting 31-17 Browns. Hopefully that comes to fruition because my Titans prediction, which I wavered on on the day of Sunday when I podcasted, I thought the Browns were going to win. But, you know, I kind of wavered on where it would go based on some data that I saw late in the week. But I'm feeling good about 31-17. The Browns are two touchdowns better than these guys. So hopefully they show out on Monday night. But that's a wrap for today. Uh, we, we have plenty of stuff up on the OBR website where we've discussed at nauseum covering what the Titans did five plays that impacted the game, quarterback grade card, the penalty situation, how they nullified Miles Garrett. Hopefully we have next week when I come at you guys Sunday night into your Monday mornings, I have a better you know, repertoire of fun things to write about after a win. We will hope that it gets to that point, uh, you know, and, and we have one of those, those famous victory. I guess it will be a victory Tuesday, so we will see. I'm calling the Browns win. Hopefully it comes to fruition. Again, thank you guys as usual. For the support, you've been great. You've been a, a big help for me over the last month. A lot of you reached out and mentioned things about the pod and the recap. I will probably just keep recapping it on my own and going through it in stream of consciousness, uh, throwing things out there, just having a conversation with you. I'll keep doing that. I think enough people gave me feedback that they liked it. If you didn't like it, you can also DM me and tell me, hey, man, that was really dumb. I don't, I don't like that. You need to have a guest on so we get some other opinions. But for now, I'm actually going to Wyoming to visit the brother-in-law, so we will be out in Wyoming the next five days. So I'll be coming at you after watching the Monday night game two hours behind you and um, hopefully get this pod out Sunday night, uh, or sorry, Monday night right after the game. That's the hope. So uh, until then, we will catch you guys on Sunday night. Look for my Jets preview. I'm pairing up with John Stephenson, you know, is the the all 22 chalk talk on Twitter defensive guru. We're going to have a Jets preview on both sides of the football. I'll cover the offense. He'll cover the defense. Should be good stuff to give you all you need to know. And please, if you can, I know that no one likes to pay for journalism, but it's how I get supported. It's 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 I, I need it. I, I need to do this and dump the time into this endeavor. Supporting me through subscribing to the OBR. It's just six seventy five a month. It, it really helps me. It helps my family. It helps me stay doing what I love to do. And it means a lot to me if you guys subscribe. We've had a lot of support lately, and I appreciate that very much. So, um, yeah, that's about it. I'll stop rambling. Keep subscribing. Keep commenting. Keep letting me know what you think of these things. Until then, hopefully we talk Sunday with good news. And as usual, go Browns. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran. Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. 
relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.